Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Chapter 3 of Haworth's. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeffrey Wilson, Ames, Iowa. Haworth's by Francis Hodgson Burnett. Chapter 3. Not Finished. The next morning he went upon his journey, and a few days later the sun came. He was a tall young fellow, with a dark, strongly cut face deep-set black eyes and an unconventional air. Those who had been wont to watch his father watched him in his turn with quite as much interest. He seemed to apply himself to the task of exploring the place at once. He went out a great deal, and in all sorts of weather. He even presented himself at Haworth's, and making friends with Floxham got permission to go through the place and look at the machinery. His simple directness of speech at once baffled and softened Floxham. My name's Murdoch, he said. I'm an American, and I'm interested in mechanics. If it isn't against your rules, I should like to see your machinery. Floxham pushed his cap off his forehead and looked him over. Well, I'm dumbed, he remarked. It had struck him at first that this might be cheek, and then he recognized that it was not. Murdoch looked slightly bewildered. If there is any objection, he began. Well, there is not, said Floxham. Come on in. And he cut the matter short by turning into the door. Did any of your chaps see that felly as come to look at the machinery? He said afterward to his comrades, He is from America, and danged if he has no more head fillin' than you'd think for. He goes round with his hands in his pockets, lookin' like a fool, and axin' questions as a stump and old un. He's to inventin' chaps, lad. I do not go much with inventions, my sin. But the young chap's known such a fool as he looks. Between mother and son, but little had been said on the subject which reigned supreme in the mind of each. It had never been their habit to speak freely on the matter. On the night of Hilary's arrival, as they sat together, the woman said, He went away three days ago, 
He will be back at the end of the week. He hoped to have good news for you. They said little beyond this, but both sat silent for some time afterward, and the conversation became desultory and lagged somewhat until they separated for the night. The week ended with fresh gusts of wind and heavy rains. Stephen Murdoch came home in a storm. On the day fixed for his return, his wife scarcely left her seat at the window for an hour. She sat looking out at the driving rain with a pale and rigid face. When the night fell and she rose to close the shutters, Hilary saw that her hands shook. She made the small room as bright as possible, and set the evening meal upon the table, and then sat down and waited again by the fire, cowering a little over it, but not speaking. His being detained is not a bad sign, said Hilary. Half an hour later, they both started from their seats at once. There was a loud summons at the door. It was Hilary who opened it, his mother following closely. A great gust of wind blew the rain in upon them, and Stephen Murdoch, wet and storm-beaten, stepped in from the outer darkness, carrying the wooden case in his hands. He seemed scarcely to see them. He made his way past them and into the lighted room with an uncertain step. The light appeared to dazzle him. He went to the sofa weakly and threw himself upon it. He was trembling like a leaf. He had aged ten years. I, I, and then he looked up at them as they stood before him waiting. There is naught to say, he cried out, and burst into wild, hysterical weeping like that of a woman. In obedience to a sign from his mother, Hilary left the room. When, after the lapse of half an hour, he returned, all was quiet. His father lay upon the sofa with closed eyes. His mother sat near him. He did not rise nor touch food, and only spoke once during the evening. Then he opened his eyes and turned them upon the case which still stood where he had placed it. Take it away, he said in a whisper. Take it away. The next morning, Hilary went to Floxham. I want work, he said. Do you think I can get it here? What sort does thou want? asked the engineer, not too encouragingly. To gentlemanly sort as thou can do with kid gloves and a eyeglass on? No, answered Murdoch. Not that sort. Floxham eyed him keenly. Would that tack oat as was offered there? he demanded. I think I would. All right, then. I'll give thee a chance. Come thou with me to the engine room, and see how long thou'll stick to it. It was very ordinary work he was given to do, but he seemed to take quite kindly to it. In fact, the manner in which he applied himself to the rough tasks which fell to his lot gave rise to no slight dissatisfaction upon his fellow workmen, and caused him to be regarded with small respect. He was usually a little ahead of the stipulated time. He had an equable temper, 
and yet despite this and his civility, he seemed often more than half oblivious of the existence of those around him. A highly flavoured joke did not awaken him to enthusiasm, and perhaps chiefest among his failings was noted the fact that he had no predilection for sixpenny, and at his midday meal, which he frequently brought with him and ate in any convenient corner, he sat drinking cold water and eating his simple fare over a book. "'The chap is no more than half there,' was the opinion generally expressed. Since the night of his return from his journey, Stephen Murdoch had been out no more. The neighbours watched for him in vain. The wooden case stood unopened in his room. He had never spoken of it. Through the long hours of the day he lay upon the sofa, either dozing or in silent wakefulness, and at length instead of upon the sofa he lay upon the bed, not having strength to rise. About three months after he had taken his place at Haworth's, Hilary came home one evening to find his mother waiting for him at the door. She shed no tears, there was in her face only a hopeless terror. He has sent me out of the room, she said. He has been restless all day. He said he must be alone. Hilary went upstairs. Opening the door, he fell back a step. The model was in its old place on the work table, and near it stood a tall, gaunt, white figure. His father turned toward him. He touched himself upon the breast. I always told myself, he said incoherently and hoarsely, that there was a flaw in it, that something was lacking. I have said that for thirty years, and believed the day would come when I should remedy the wrong. Tonight, I know, the truth has come to me at last. There was no remedy. The flaw was in me, touching his hollow chest. In me. As I lay there, I thought once that perhaps it was not real, that I had dreamed it all and might awake. I got up to see, to touch it. It is there, good God, as if a sudden terror grasped him. Not finished, and I... He fell into a chair and sank forward, his hand falling upon the model helplessly and unmeaningly. Hilary raised him and laid his head upon his shoulder. He heard his mother at the door and cried out loudly to her. Go back, he said, go back. You must not come in. End of chapter 3